Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As 2022 comes to a close, we turn focus to the year ahead. With that will come a range of inflections that will influence the trajectory of markets in 2023. Joining us here to discuss what 2023 might have in store for investors and to explain the overall outlook of the UBS Chief Investment Office, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho. Jason is the head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Jason, welcome, and here we are, about ready to turn the page on yet another year, and what a year it has been as we've seen a lot of volatility across asset classes, a challenging policy environment, and mixed macro conditions. So, in some ways, I'm sure our listeners are ready to turn the page on 2022. So, Jason, thank you for joining us here in our Midtown Manhattan studios, and looking forward to hearing your take on what the year ahead has in store and how to think about positioning accordingly. Welcome. No, it's good to be here, Dan. Yes, it's, uh, I think I echo the sentiments that it's been a challenging year in financial markets. I think a lot of investors would be happy and look forward to turning the page and hopefully will be a better 2023. So Jason, before we get into our conversation here at the top, I do want to let our listeners, our clients know today we are in fact talking about the CIO's year ahead piece for 2023, that title being a year of inflections. We'll dive deeper into the meaning behind that in a few moments, though I do want to point out that for our listeners and their clients. You can locate the full report and all related resources on the website, ubs.com backslash CIO dash year ahead. So getting into it, Jason, as I pointed out, CIO has indeed characterized the year ahead 2023 as being a year of inflections. So to start, Jason, talk to us a bit about that in terms of what that means and the catalysts that could influence investor sentiment in the new year. Well, I think with the, the idea of inflections is that when we look at the, the macro environment, the expectation is that there'll be turning points or inflection points for a number of key variables that have been really driving the story this year and will likely to be dominant market stories next year. So for example, you know, this year we've had inflation that rose sharply at the start of the year, remained elevated for a period of time. As we come towards the end of the year, it looks like inflation is coming down. So maybe we've already had the inflection point for peak inflation. Uh, that's one example. Probably the single most biggest uh, driver for the, the markets next year is when do the central banks have their own inflection point, you know, you know, or pivot. Uh, been a very aggressive rate hiking cycle from the Federal Reserve and other major central banks this year, uh, still on track for more hikes as we go into early 2023. But the expectation is that at some point those hikes will stop. Uh, and then presumably there'll be some cuts later on down the line, potentially, you know, before the end of next year. So there'll be again, so this inflection point in central bank policy. Um, same thing with kind of growth. We're heading towards end of year and start of 2023 where U.S. and global growth looks like it's it's slowing down um, You know, as a result of the central bank policy tightening. As we get into next year, it probably will slow down even more to the point where a recession is very likely a, you know, a good possibility. But then when it does slow to that point, the inflection point that we'll be watching for is when, when does growth bottom out and then actually start to inflect higher. Markets will sort of trade on that kind of news. So when we talk about inflection points, it's all these different things from you know central bank policy to growth to uh, you know, inflation. Even for like China that it's engaged in a zero COVID policy of, of lockdowns, when do they sort of inflect to actually really open up their economy, which would be a key driver from the overall global dynamic. And so, you know, history tells us that it's really only these key turning points in macro developments and policy that, that matter for the markets. And so that's why I think sort of focusing on them so much, these inflection points 
points is really going to be the story for the markets next year. All of these inflection points, Jason, they clearly carry their own weight. It sounds like in particular a lot hinges on central banks and what they decide to do with their policy stances, right? That's correct. Uh, certainly from a policy perspective, central banks have been the key driver for the markets this year, You know, among other factors. That's likely to continue to be the case next year, hopefully in a way from instead of being a headwind that this year by raising rates and tightening policy to something where next year it becomes more neutral. And ultimately, if they do start to cut rates, becomes a little bit more accommodative for financial markets. Jason, with that in mind, what factors, or should I say known factors, because of course there are circumstances which one cannot forecast, what known factors could impact or disrupt the outlook? Well, in the first part of your question, you know, you know factors that could sort of alter the outlook. One thing that I didn't mention thus far is like geopolitical factors, mm-hmm. you know, you know, China, not just the COVID policy, but also like U.S.-China tensions from from trade, from technology, uh, things of that sort. You know, recently, you know, President Biden and President Xi of China met at the G20 summit in, in Indonesia. It seemed like it was a relatively cordial conversation. Mm-hmm. So could that be a sign of some of the tensions de-escalating or will the situation get worse? So that those are another kind of, you know, clear factor. And there's the, always the unknown of geopolitical situations that, you know, c- you know could arise in some ways or, or get better as well. But then, you know, just going back to the policy front, you know, there's a lot of talk that, you know, this past year that the Fed made a mistake, a policy error by waiting too long to withdraw accommodative policy and start raising rates. A lot of focus on will they tighten too much next year? Will they make a policy error by going too far, causing the, you know, a deeper recession than perhaps would be otherwise be necessary? And as a result, will they have to quickly reverse? Um, will we get, you know, a fiscal policy error in the U.S.? You know, the debt scene is a, an issue that has sure. to be resolved. We know in the past that it has been, but there's always a risk that, you know, right. you get a tail event outcome where, um, you know, they, they don't agree in a time and it can cause certainly some stress across financial markets. Because we are looking at perhaps a divided Congress in the U.S., which adds fuel to that fire, so to speak. It, it makes it a risk that otherwise wouldn't have been the case. So these are all things that, you know, we have to sort of watch, you know, that will be maybe secondary factors, but certainly, you know, in a, in a market that's already sort of challenged from, just general macroeconomic conditions, mm-hmm. adding these other factors that would be headwinds just makes the situation either more volatile or, or more challenging. So with respect to central bank policy, do you feel that other global central banks will take their cues from what the Fed does in 2023? And what are your thoughts on the timing of all of this in terms of when the Fed might pause rate hikes and begin to cut rates? So let's start with the Fed. Uh, right now, they will meet in mid-December, and it's Widely expected, they will raise uh, interest rates 50 basis points. The market is pricing about a 98% chance of that happening, so it's a pretty high likelihood. Then from that, you know, the next meeting is on February 1st, a good chance of 25 basis points then. When we get to March, mid-March, the, the meeting, it really becomes much more data dependent. So another 25 could happen there. That's kind of roughly what the market is pricing. So from current levels, about 100 basis points more in hiking. The sequencing and timing could differ a little bit from that. You know, Much of this will, will depend on the economic data as it comes in. You know, we have been getting a little bit better data on inflation, suggesting that is you know, yeah, the to kind of, October prints, right? Well, October data was, was was solid. Now we will have to wait for the no- November data that's going to come out, uh, you know, by early December. If that trends in the right direction, it will just sort of give further confidence, you know, certainly to investors that you know the the, the the Fed starting with could do what I outlined, but not much more than that. Other central banks will sort of take their cues. I think they've been forced to some extent to follow the Fed's lead because as the Fed has been aggressive, it's also caused you know, significant dollar strength this year, and that's with other central banks also hiking rates aggressively, even though their economies in many cases aren't as in solid shape on a relative basis as the US economy. So they're likely to, you know, maybe even do less than the Fed and any signs that the Fed could dial back, they may be even sort of preemptively like saying, all right, we're, we're done our hikes. All of which is to say 
for the major central banks, Q1 is sort of the time frame on which we'd expect hiking to be done, give or take a month or two uh, for, for the different central banks. Then in terms of when they'll cut, well, that's kind of the, you know, a harder question to predict because you know the Fed has said you know they might go slower, but ultimately higher with policy rates and want to stay there for an elevated time period. How long they have to stay elevated is going to hinge on how long inflation stays elevated and kind of come down to a level that is around three, three and a half percent that the Fed would be happy with, or is it going to get stuck at a level more like four or five percent, which would actually force the Fed to either do more or keep elevated policy rates for an extended period of time? Given inflation trajectories, it looks like a year from now that they could be comfortable you know cutting rates by then. But I think that's kind of the that'll be a key debate next year once we you know, get into Q1 is at what point does the Fed and other central banks actually able to start cutting rates? So Jason, in terms of how investors should be thinking about an asset allocation in 2023, clearly a lot of unknowns. And as we've pointed out, a lot hinges on what the Fed will do with respect to their course for monetary policy. But how should investors think about an investment approach in 2023? Well, I think we have to start from a point of view of like entering the year, what do you want to be doing to enter in the year? Given the macroeconomic challenges that exist of, of slowing growth, the central bank, the Fed still raising interest rates, inflation still high, the risk reward at this point in time still looks like it's more skewed to the downside for risk assets for equities as we go into the start of the year, at least for the first quarter and maybe into the second quarter. With that in mind, you know, the, the position that we sort of have been recommending in our house you, you know, continues to be the kind of you know the baseline that we have, meaning have you know, defensive position in your portfolio um, across both equities and fixed income. You're tilting towards higher quality assets. Uh, we don't think that's kind of the, the right approach overall. If you look out, though, kind of beyond the first half into the next second half of the year, that's when these kind of inflection points that I alluded to earlier should start to kind of kick in, meaning growth likely would have troughed and started to get better. Inflation should clearly have rolled over. And you might have now central banks that are actually cutting and not just sort of talking about cutting. And historically, that kind of environment of growth, kind of modestly reaccelerating, falling inflation and central bank easing has been good for risk assets. Now, that means we still see some upside by end of next year. Depends on which asset class you're buying, but a challenging path perhaps to get there. And that's kind of, you know, the, you know, the position argument. So if you think about what you want to do in your portfolio, as I mentioned, up in quality, a little bit more defensive. So, so for example, within fixed income, you know, buying safer treasuries, investment grade, corporate bonds, mortgage-backed securities, things that would also benefit if interest rates decline next year if a recession does materialize. You can also get income in those strategies in a way you couldn't before. We still like value stocks within uh, equities, an environment where the the you know, interest rates should still be elevated. Inflation is moderating, but will still be above long-term averages. Historically, that's an environment where value stocks, we think, is, can continue to outperform. And the other thing that we've learned this year is that you know, stock bond portfolios don't always work for diversification. So looking for things that can add diversification to your portfolio, including like hedge fund strategies that are designed to have very low correlation with equities, that's a good way to get you know something in your portfolio that can perform in an environment where perhaps bonds and stocks may not perform again. I mean, we don't think that's the case, but that, you know, again, to have that diversification in your portfolio. So Jason, up until this point, we've spoken about 2023 in terms of what to expect as far as perhaps monetary policy direction, macro conditions, and how that might all translate to market conditions. Now, within the year ahead publication, the report also talks about the decade ahead. So Jason, as we close out our conversation today, can you touch on some of the factors that will influence the rest of this decade and the resulting investment implications? Well, I think there's a few kind of big, broad themes you can, we can touch on among others, but you know, one is is central bank policy. Uh, we talked about an inflection point for central banks stopping height, rate heights next year and eventually cutting. But what do they have to do for the rest of this decade where inflation may end up being more elevated than it has been in the prior decade? If inflation does stay sticky, then you know what happens to monetary policy uh, in terms of becoming politicized? I think you know we've seen thus far that with inflation high, central banks you know 
focused on bringing inflation down has been accepted because unemployment hasn't gone up. But if people start losing their jobs, well, then there's a trade-off. And how does monetary policy kind of play out in that environment? And that could be a story that goes on for multiple years. So another you know, important theme that I think will we'll characterize this coming decade is the you know the energy transition to go from to green you know green energy, sustainable energy that will require a lot of investment globally. You know that could be a positive, but there's also you know offset effect that as you make that investment, it could be inflationary. It's going to rely on you know commodity investment. Commodity prices could go higher. So from a broad macroeconomic perspective, you have investment that could be good from a long-term uh, you know productivity perspective, the transition, but it could also be inflationary. I think that's true for other aspects of sort of the need to invest. Deglobalization is another example. It could spur investment, but also deglobalization could be inflationary. And you couple that with my first point regarding central bank policy. I think those are kind of you know examples of key drivers that we're thinking about for the rest of this decade. Other things are like you know security, the need for energy security military security, things of that sort, um, you know, ongoing digitization of businesses, that will be a key theme. So we take these kind of bigger themes that we think will likely kind of be the characterize this, this decade. What does that mean? Well, interest rates, you know, likely a bit higher than investors have been used to. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the opportunity to invest in fixed income and get some return has, like, that hasn't been the case really for a decade. That's mm-hmm. likely to be kind of you know, more prevalent when you think about it, you know, asset allocation. The prior decade was a very kind of low growth, low inflation, low rate environment, also mm-hmm. low volatility. Now, when you add things like higher inflation, politicization of central bank policy, you can get more volatility in the macro environment. So the idea that you can kind of just ride it through, I think that's going to be more challenging and you have to be, have to be more active as an investor going forward. And then things just finally for equities, you know, the winners of one decade tend not to be the winners of the next decade. We know the winners of the past decade have been, you know, large cap growth stocks, tech stocks in particular, you know, the fangs. We've seen, you know, this year and, and most recently with the third quarter earnings, some of the challenges they face. Is this a blip, a cyclical change or a more structural change? I think there's arguments for why, you know, they had their run they'll still do well, but the next decade will be dominated by you know, perhaps other kind of investments within equities. A lot of people would point to energy companies, industrials, materials, those tied to energy transition. But even if you do think more of size, small cap stocks, their valuations are very low versus large. So that's attractive over a multi-year period. They also tend to be a little more domestically focused, so it could benefit from deglobalization. And also they tend to be a little bit more industrial oriented. So again, these other themes, they benefit from that as well. So there's, even if the overall equity environment could be a little bit more challenging, it doesn't mean that there won't be attractive investment opportunities within the equity landscape as well. But I think the idea that you could just buy and own without going to be more active in managing your portfolio, that's probably not going to be the story of this coming decade. So diversification is key. That's key, yes. Well, Jason, there is a lot here to consider, not only for the calendar year ahead, 2023, though also over the course of the decade ahead, I do look forward to having follow-up conversations with you here on the podcast in the months to come to track these macro and policy developments and the market response to them, and of course, hear your guidance along the way as to how you recommend our listeners and clients should think about portfolio positioning. So thank you again, Jason, for your time today. Appreciate it. You're welcome, and hopefully we'll have a better 2023 for the markets. Absolutely. Again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Before we close out, I do want to remind our listeners and their clients of UBS that you can now locate the year ahead publication for 2023 on the website UBS.com slash CIO dash year ahead. There you can locate the full publication year ahead 2023, a year of inflections and all related resources. For clients of UBS, please reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Year Ahead publication for 2023 directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.